Hey, you. Thanks for tapping into Untapped podcast, where we talk about different perspectives of sobriety and mental health so that you can take something, implement it into your own life. Where we believe there's only one right way to get sober, and that's the way that works for you. I'm RJ Zimmerman, and today we have returning to the show uh, somebody who is really, really awesome connecting with. Uh, I've had the pleasure of connecting with Duncan Baskaran Brown a few times since he's been on the podcast, and he's been up to some really big things. So how are you doing, Duncan? Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm pleased to be back. It's like putting on a comfy pair of sneakers, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It really, it's like putting on this sweatshirt, honestly. It's just like, it's so, yes, it is very comfortable. And it's uh, it's always fun chatting. I always have a smile on my face when I'm talking with you. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Let's, let's do it. Yeah. Let's, let's get into uh, what you've been up to, which is some really fun stuff. So do you want to let everybody know what's, what Duncan has been up to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, generally trying to reduce the amount of harm that alcohol does in the world. That's sort of the mission, isn't it? Uh, you know, and I, I do that work in one-to-one with people. And based on that work, I've uh, written my uh, my next book called Real Men Quit, which is, um, well, it's a little bit irreverent. It's a serious subject, but um, I think we should be able to muck around whilst we're talking about it. So it's kind of fun. It's kind of got this lot, sort of armchair macho vibe going on. Uh, very much aimed at the guys because, uh, you know, my favorite statistic on this subject that I found out recently, 73% of the alcohol in the world is drunk by men, which means if you're in a bar with a girl, you have to drink three of them to every one of hers. So, uh, yeah, there you go. We have the problems, you know, two to three times more likely to have a problem with drinking men over women. Yeah, look in the recovery world. Who's tearing it up? Who's making all of the, the headway? It's all women. Look on Amazon at the best-selling authors. You know, top 15 best-selling books about stopping drinking, nine of them written by women. A couple of them written by Alan Carr. He's been dead for 17 years. So, guys, we're just not really cutting it, are we? So that's kind of part of my mission at the moment is to, to help men embrace all of the good stuff that you get from uh, sobriety. I really like how you said exactly that, because I was talking with, I can't remember who it was a week ago, about how in this space it really is women. You see women leading the charge and then when you talk about it as a man it's it is difficult right because we are so stubborn about admitting that change might be needed that there might be an issue a problem a challenge and something that we should change like that's something that we dig our heels in and are just like nope not happening so getting through that wall can be challenging to say the least yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's a there's an awful lot of baggage that, that we, we, we bring to it, isn't it, around this kind of like, mm -hmm. we've got to be tough, you know, that's, uh, that that's, that's why a lot of people start drinking. In fact, one of my, um one of my coaches the other day, he said to me, you know what, Duncan, I wasn't any good at sport, uh, you know, I wasn't particularly successful with the girls, uh, you know, what the one macho thing I could do was drinking. 
And it was so tied up with his his identity of being strong and, you know, carrying the load and not complaining. And and that's why, you know, we don't tend to um, tend to ask for help. Uh, it, it's not in our nature, coupled to the fact that, you know, we are not exactly our our own best friends, are we? I mean, I spent 10 years in the fire service and I, I loved the guys. I mean, I, I miss them all. It, it was great fun. But, you know, it was it was a difficult environment to be in because if you were even slightly concerned about another man's well-being, you know the jokes that are coming out, of, you know, the emasculating stuff about, you know, you being weak, you know, all of that stuff. You know all of it. And, um, you know, we don't we don't help each other. We don't look after each other. We kind of pretend we do. But, um, yeah, it's, it, it, if it's anything more than I'll buy you a pint and we can talk about the football, yeah. And being in a somewhat similar circumstances as a high voltage line tech, right? That the masculine, the everybody being can't talk about feelings, can't talk about other things. I was actually told by multiple people that they couldn't trust me because I couldn't have a beer with them. That's why there was nothing else. That was the only thing. And so yeah. And it like I would go out to after work with the guys and I would buy a round, which was way expensive for me because I'd pay two dollars for a soda that's a free refills all night. And, and then, so they'd buy me drinks all all the time. And then I'd buy a round, you know, that's twenty, thirty bucks, but it's fine because it's part of fitting in. It's part of, you know, being with the guys and yeah, to hear that. You see, that I think is uh, such an important point that people overlook. The, the, the way to fit in and be a part of the group is to spend time with people and interact with people and be generous and, you know, you know, buy them something to demonstrate your commitment to them. It's kind of like a, a physical reminder that, you know, you, you are friends with them and that you do care about them. And and that's what's important it's the time together it's sharing the jokes it's it's sharing the space none of that has got anything to do with alcohol you know alcohol is just something that happens alongside that and we mistakenly believe that it's what gives it all uh you know and that i guess is what really really annoys me uh that people will give up their power so you know they they have the, the power to build these relationships with their friends, the power to to interact, and they give it to alcohol, and they say, oh, "I can only do it because of alcohol." And it's like you can't. You can do it because you are an awesome human being. You're like you're, the alcohol's giving you nothing. You're giving all of your power to alcohol. And I get kind of I have to reel myself in a little bit when people say stuff like that because it just annoys me. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I, I hear you. I hear you completely. It's, it is it like you and I have been in this space for a little bit. And so it is passionate. Like you see people that are holding themselves back and it's at this, like, how do you get through to somebody that you, you have more in you, you can, you will, and you have risen to the occasion what is stopping you from rising to that occasion is something that it's that you believe about this 
thing that you drink. And because you believe it, it's like the Michael Jordan secret um, secret juice from Space Jam. Do you remember that at all? Like, you know, at halftime, the, just the water with the sticker and all of a sudden everybody's all tough and they can yeah, score. Yeah. It, that's exactly what it is. Well, and do you know, there's a ton of science uh, around that. You know, you if you take college students and they always do these experiments on college students because college students are, are bored and will do anything for free booze, won't they? But if you take two groups of college students, you put them in exactly the same location. You give one of them orange juice. You give the other one orange juice with vodka in it and you tell them both that it's vodka and orange. They will report feeling exactly the same way they will behave in exactly the same way it's to a point where they realize that you have lied to them and that there is no vodka in there but um for you know 90 minutes two hours they will not notice that they are drinking orange juice versus vodka and orange that is how powerful alcohol is you can't even tell the difference <laughs> i've I've heard of that study and every time it makes me laugh because it just shows how I kept myself in a place of being small for no other reason than, so I think there's a good place to talk about it too, like fitting in, right? And Brene Brown breaks down fitting in and belonging and fitting in is when you try to change yourself and make yourself a part of the group. And belonging is you just are there as yourself and you just belong. Like people just accept you for who you are. And we all search for the belonging, but we don't know we're searching for the belonging. And so we'll fit in. And before I got diagnosed with ADHD and I understood like what masking was and things like that, like I found myself trying to fit in every single time, everywhere. And it allowed me to fall down this hole of that little, that little drink, that little alcohol, like just, this is what I want to, how I want, how I want to drink so that I can kind of forget who I am and how lonely I feel and all of this to try and fit in and not belong. I mean, but that, that drive within us is is massive. The importance that we give to the the community and having people around us, and it, you know, it doesn't mm -hmm. take very long to figure out why that's so important. You know, like being isolated from the tribe seventy five thousand years ago was a recipe for quick death. You know, so it's like literally, it's a life or death reaction that we have to it. That's why when you you look at all of this sort of conformity stuff that Solomon Ash started, you know, where you can prove that people will, that they will, they will agree with other people, even when they know what the other person is saying is complete rubbish. They will do it because they want to fit in. It's such a powerful drive. And it's it sort of, I've got this idea of all of these 15 year olds stood around and they're all drinking brass monkey, beer, whatever. It doesn't really matter, does it? They're all around there drinking something but it tastes awful because alcohol tastes bad that's just a fact you know it tastes awful and they're all going oh this is great isn't it and that every single one of them is is hating it but they're all saying to each other oh this is great because they believe everybody else is enjoying it and they're so desperate to fit in but every single one of them is lying in this great big lying circle it's just you know and 
hey, that's how we all started, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's funny you say that because it brought up the memory. The first time I tried whiskey, uh, I was, God, uh, 12, 11. Anyway, my friend brought a little flask and everybody's drinking it. And he's like, hey, try it, try it. So I did. And I was oh, like, he's like, I know it's, but it makes you, it makes you feel like a man, right? It makes you feel like you're an adult. And I looked at him like, no, it just tastes fucking awful. <laughs> and he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm good. And then, you know, uh, fast forward eight years, and it's like, <laughs> I was that person. Yeah, it makes me feel like a man. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, just that that whole kind of like, oh, I drink alcohol because it tastes nice stuff. I just, like, seriously. And I, spirits are the exact, you know, they totally and utterly prove that. they Your body is quite clever. It's quite good at spotting poison when it sees it. And it goes, oh, my God, that is awful. Um, yeah, you you tell yourself it makes you feel like a man. And, uh, you know, you end up <laughs> believing it. <laughs> and that's, I mean, where you see non-alcoholic beer, non-alcoholic spirits, right? That is really interesting because you can actually get solid flavor without the poison and it changes the way that people look at what they're actually drinking i've seen it i've seen people try it and be like actually i think this might taste better it's like yeah it probably does because it actually has the flavor that you think that you're having <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, although still nobody will ever persuade me that non-alcoholic vodka is a sensible thing i mean it's like no it's like, what? just put water in your tonic or whatever exactly water with uh you know just like r something really spicy with that so it can have that burn right although uh, do you know i i i fully support there's some great um people out there who are making non-alcoholic drinks and they only make non-alcoholic drinks and i totally and utterly support them but i am very cynical about heineken zero and any of the big companies that are jumping on this alcohol-free bandwagon, and I've noticed it particularly with Guinness, that mm. they they really are very clever at pretending that they're advertising their alcohol-free line when you know for sure they're really just they just want to put the word Guinness into your head. It's got nothing to do with with helping people to control their drinking. It's got everything to do with increasing their already outrageously bloated profits. <laughs> it's turning into big to pack tobacco it feels like which is a a good thing i think from yeah, the I mean, societal people, perspective yeah people wise up to the fact that they're doing exactly the same thing that uh tobacco companies did for years and years and years you know they're trying to muddy the water around the science the science is incredibly clear even moderate drinking is bad for you. It gives you long-term health problems. It ruins your concentration. It mucks up your sleep, saps your energy, increases your cortisol level, decreases your GABA level. So you just get stress and anxiety. And that is even moderate drinking does that. It's just a... But the alcohol industry will still go on about polyphenols in red wine. Like... <laughs> I like that and you brought you know up the, the polyphenols. Yeah, the really interesting thing about all of those studies <clears throat> is it's always like one small glass of red wine every day. And nobody 
<clears throat> like literally nobody drinks like that. It's like statistically, uh, there, there is that that is the absolute minority of people. There, there is people who drink daily tend to drink heavily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I really like that we're staying. Like we're talking about this from a perspective of men too. And what have you seen able to get men to open their minds a little bit? Because we talked about how it's closed off that wall, right? Have you found something particularly effective to get someone to open their minds and be like, oh, maybe you're right. Maybe that is something that I should take a look at. Um, yeah, I, so I, I, I am completely and utterly convinced about taking a coaching approach towards uh, alcohol, helping people to talk through what they believe about alcohol is, in my opinion, without doubt, the most powerful thing you can do. Asking a few pointed questions and allowing people to um, to just talk it out, uh, it, it makes a huge difference. And you can see it sometimes. You know, I'll ask somebody a question and they won't even get halfway through the sentence by the time they and they start to realize that what they have just said is nonsense yet they have believed that for years and years and years and worse still it, that belief has fundamentally informed their actions um and yet the first time they say it out loud they realize it's just complete nonsense uh so that's you, you know that's all i think we need to do is 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 get men to actually talk about their beliefs around alcohol and not in a kind of like yeah well of course I deserve a drink kind of a way but in a sort of more serious sort of structured way that will actually help them to bring these beliefs to light examine them work out whether they're true work out whether they're serving them or not and then um, you know realize that they're a bunch of old nonsense so pack them full of Semtex and blow them to smithereens That's a nice visual that I think a lot of uh, a lot of men would enjoy because let's be honest, we're all the pyromaniac boys at heart. (laughs) That's the belief disposal system, as I like to call it, because it sounds a little bit like bomb disposal. And I've just got this like basically my parents didn't buy me a ghostbusters proton pack when i was a kid so <laughs> and now just like i have to kind of make everything be a bit pseudo macho and um <laughs> like i really need some sort of like laser gun thing that's uh, yeah and i really like what you said about it taking the coaching perspective um and having the humor too i know can disarm but I post, uh, you know, I post a lot online about my personal journeys and a lot of it is around about your journey. I thought you were just trying to sell shirts (laughs) and sunglasses. (laughs) No, I love your videos, man. I appreciate that. Well, I, I appreciate when people notice, you know, the swag because I didn't used to dress like this. It used to be just boring blues and, uh, you know, and I do appreciate a good blue. Don't get me wrong, but, um, I've noticed when I talk about sobriety, especially on YouTube and Facebook, men will comment and they will be, you just need to get drunk. You just need to have a bunch of drinks. Just have a beer, you sissy. And I'll come back with, why are you so angry about what I drink? Is there something you'd like to talk about? And that gets people like, whoa, like, 
why, what do you mean? I'm not angry. Like, uh, it's like, yeah, you are. And so I took it from the comment section to real life. And when somebody's like, um, I'll tell them, oh yeah, I don't drink. I haven't drank in almost 10 years. And they're like, oh yeah, I, I don't really drink either on the weekends. I'm like, well, why is what I'm drinking taking you to that place that you have to justify your drinking? Is there something you want to talk about? Or is there something maybe you need to think about at a deeper level? And they'll sit there like, huh, it's a good question. And you'll see them kind of start thinking about it. And I've had four or five people text me like, hey, I've cut back to once a week since we had the conversation. I feel better. It's like, good. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I mean, that is really interesting, isn't it? You know, at least I suppose if you're angry about who other people have sex with, that that is kind of like a <laughs> bit of a deeper, more visceral kind of a thing. But like to get annoyed about what somebody isn't drinking, that's like. Yeah. And it, Mel Robbins like when her husband stopped drinking, she mentioned the guilt that she felt when she would drink around him. And this is what brought the question to my mind. And he said to her, why does it matter so much to you? What's in my cup? Is there something that you need to think about there? And like that made her think about it. So then it was like, yeah, why does it matter that much? And I just took it and ran with it. And it's like, it's been powerful when talking about things like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a person who, um, who only reads my articles because, uh, be because we're friends kind of thing <clears throat> and, um, always gets slightly annoyed by them. And then we'll <laughs> always be like, kind of, and it is, it's just like, it's exactly the same thing. It's like, maybe there's something in that that you need to examine. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's really been when it comes to emotions and feelings and men going into that like we have that reaction we have that anger like that's really what we know cross cultures like anger is what is acceptable for us to show and so that's kind of the the starting point that I like to tap into when I'm talking to men and emotions and feelings, this works for women too, who are very independent and don't necessarily know their feelings as well is you have that anger, but your anger could be so many different things. Is it frustration, annoyance, irritation, were you offended? Right. And when you start to break that down, then you can start to work on the other feelings and emotions from there too. Um, when it comes to feelings and emotions and talking to men, is there a starting point that you have found to be fairly effective to be able to talk about it? Yeah, I, I tend to sort of like start off by keeping it relatively simple, but you know, spreading it out a little bit from the kind of bad, sad and mad and looking mm -hmm. at the stuff that Paul Ekman did and like whether you whether you believe that's the most appropriate theory of emotions or whether you've got the kind of the other ways of looking at it as a spectrum, I don't think it really matters. I think it's quite an easy way to kind of hook 
<clears throat> put guys in because you know we've all done done our fair share of anger you know disgust is fairly safe ground we can probably appreciate joy you know we can start to acknowledge that these these other emotions do exist and we can widen it up a little bit and most men will even ex you know they'll they'll admit that fear is a real thing you know just only in other guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. but it, it, it's about beginning that conversation and um you know i always think that the the thing that's helped me to uh, manage my emotions and point them in a slightly better direction it, it revolves around awareness just just becoming aware of them and there are there are some great tools for doing that and i know you're a huge fan of um like getting into the language of it and actually learning to describe them and talk about them and be more specific about them you're not just annoyed it's like what are you annoyed about why you know get get into the meat of it um but i, I just think anything that can help you become aware of them and understand that you know they're not going anywhere i don't i don't care how tough you are if you see if you're walking through the forest and you see a snake out of the corner of your eye your body will react with fear very very quickly in fact your body will react with fear quicker than it will actually process the visual information and realize that it's a stick not a snake and that happens to everybody unless you happen to have sawdust in your head you know if you have a functioning brain <laughs> that happens to absolutely everybody oh i have a funny story about a deer <laughs> so as a high voltage line tech you ha i had to go out middle of the night right and like I said, very masculine job. I wouldn't even admit to myself when I was scared. Like I would know, but I would say, no, you're not scared. You're not scared. You're good. So I'm walking. It's two o'clock in the morning. Lighting overhead is the only thing that you can see. It's so dark and so heavy rain that even like my light, that's a box light does, isn't putting out very much light. So I get to the end of this line and I'll send this, lightning flashes and there's a bunch of tall grass in front of me probably like 15 feet and all of a sudden this big thing just like stands up and all i see is a silhouette and all of a sudden a lightning flash and i was like what the and i turn around to run and um i turn i, I heard it take off and i turn and look and it's a big buck that was like 15 feet from me but i was scared so bad that I turned to run and I got back to the truck and I grabbed some paper towel because I had to uh, wipe something. <laughs> I was so scared, but it's like a deer, just a deer standing up. And, you know, you can, you can say like, I'm not scared. There's nothing, nothing going on. I mean, it, when I look back, it's like, why, why did I feel like I couldn't tell myself I was scared? And a lot of that was fear, like fear of the fear, fear of all of this and how just a deer standing up just like set me into the flight, which yeah, I should have, because who knows what it was. I couldn't see anything, but it's just, it's a funny story. To be fair, one should probably run away from big angry male deer. That would be, <laughs> that would be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. It was like this time of year too. And it had, a, I mean, just a, I don't know if you know a lot about deer, from Wisconsin, big deer hunters. So know a lot. And it, it was already like a huge rack on this thing. I was like, that's going to be a prize for somebody. <laughs> but not for me, because I'm running no. in the other direction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And you know what I think is really interesting about that story? You know, the whole idea of like walking through the woods in the night and it's raining and, you know, you're on edge. You know, that puts you into that um, kind of like heightened state, doesn't it? Where you are more likely to react to something. And ultimately, that heightened state is is merely, you know, a a neurobiological state. Uh, which revolves a lot around, I mean, you know, it's very complicated, but it, it involves a, a lot around things like cortisol, doesn't it? And, uh, you know, what, is, what does alcohol do? Each unit raises your cortisol level by 3%. So if you drink often enough, you are basically putting yourself into that heightened emotional state the whole time. You are priming yourself to um, really properly brick it when you run into that deer. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, that's the thing about the science too, and how it comes back to how you're treating your body, how you're going through life, how you're, how you're able to look at the mind body connection that you have so that you can understand what your body's telling yourself and how you're taking that away by drinking. And you're really, you, you confuse yourself based on what you're feeling because of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's there's a massive amount of people who who are trying to remove themselves from their body, which is a really odd concept. And um, you know, I love Aristotle. I stole most of my best ideas from him. But the one thing he was flat out wrong about was the disconnection between your mind and your body. They aren't two things. They are one thing. You can't have one without the other. Well, you can, but a body without a mind is technically called a corpse, isn't it? <laughs> not what we aspire to. but yeah there's so many people they they are just trying to to ignore the sensations in their body and that is why i think things like yoga and havening and dance and sport can be such powerful tools in recovery because they allow you to reconnect with your body and to to actually feel again and you know emotions are physical things they 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 have a cognitive aspect yes they have a mental aspect but they are also physical and getting back in touch with your body is is so so incredibly important although i am sure there are listeners who are probably bored of being told to try yoga <laughs> yeah i mean i did and the reason that i held myself back was because i thought what are the guys going to say? And then I'm like, well, who gives a shit what they're going to say? And oh, I just tell did. them I'm doing stretching exercises. There you go. It, hey, you want to know what? It does make you better in the bedroom when you are flexible. It turns out that that is something that is a benefit. I, It's weird. Who knew? So, <laughs> you know, we could frame things in that way. That way. And Absolutely. Kung Fu has been amazing for me too. I was going to say like, Similarly to um, yoga, like getting into my body, moving in a way that things like my body is in a certain place and for a reason, it's, it's really been uh, that meditative state and being able to get physically back into my body using Kung Fu has been amazing. Yeah, is that like um, is it kata when you're doing the kind of like the movements and you're flowing through the sequences? There's um so there's Tai Chi and there that might be one of them. Um yeah. one of the forms. I don't know if I've gotten to I and it might be, and I just don't know because I just didn't 
learned that <laughs> that part of it. So, um, yeah, but yeah. I think when you're particularly when you're kind of practicing a form and you're trying to put your body into that exact position, you know, that does have a meditative quality to it, doesn't mm-hmm. it? You know, you are emptying your mind of other thoughts and concentrating purely on your your physical sensation. So absolutely, I think that's doing all of the same stuff as as as, as yoga. And yeah, generally with with the guys, I, I do I do kind of like I go, well, you know, I think yoga and dance is really helpful, but um why don't you do Kung Fu or, you know, get there back into playing football? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the kung, the kung fu aspect. So the reason I did it was for the working out because I wanted to get back into my body. I wanted my body in better shape. I have two little kids, five and four. I got to keep up with them. They're getting bigger. Um, yeah. And yeah. that was a big deal to me. And then the kung fu ended up being something that kept me going and got me more excited as I got into it. But that's the thing is like trying these things that you've kept yourself back from. Why? make some time and try it and see what you'd enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I was something I was discussing with, uh, with another friend yesterday, we were talking about lockdown and they're going, what, what was the effect of lockdown on people's health? And it's like, well, one of the things I get quite a lot with people is, you know, I would, I would exercise more if I had the time I would cook more proper food, if I had the time, uh, you know, I'd learn the cello or Spanish or take up Kung Fu if I had the time. And what did lockdown teach us? Well, you had the time, but you didn't start cooking, did you? You didn't start exercising. Your Spanish is still rubbish. You can't play the cello. Um, so it's not the time that's the problem, because ultimately, if you want there's 24 hours in every day, you know, if you want to do something, you can find the time. Uh, I don't know what the statistics are. But um, you Americans, you like the television, don't you? <laughs> you watch a fair bit of it. You could probably just cut one episode off Netflix and find enough time for Kung Fu, couldn't you? So, you know, it's not the time. Uh, so what is it? You know, it, it's getting down into those beliefs and, uh, you, know, you know, getting into um, working out. Why is it that you're resisting doing it? Once, once you've got that kind of belief bit sorted out, bit of thought management off you go yeah something that i've really discovered has been powerful for me and for other people too which is along this vein is realizing that you're starting where you are and you're not starting where you wish you were and that is something that keeps people from starting getting in shape cooking doing so much more because they want to they want and think they should be up here. So they don't even start because they're not there. And the thing is, if you start where you are, then it's a lot easier to progress and you'll surpass where you wish you were faster than if you start wishing, you know, you were further along. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that there's a little bit of a trap with that. So let's say you, you, you take up Kung Fu, right? You turn up, you're the absolute beginner, but suddenly you're surrounded by people who've been doing it for longer than you. And even the guy that started last week is better than you. So everybody seems better than you. So suddenly you've gone from, you know, being just perfectly happy with your Kung Fu skills to comparing yourself to people who are better than you. 
And actually, the, the better you get, the more likely you are to hang around with people who are even better. And so you constantly comparing yourself to people who are better than you. And that is kind of disappointing. What you should do, I think, is compare yourself to people who are rubbish. You know? <laughs> Find somebody <laughs> about the worst person you know, the fitter, the, the most unfit, smelliest, useless person. Compare yourself to them, you'll feel great. But no, I mean I think that's that kind of creates this this idea that we've got to get really good at it really, really quickly. And there is nothing on this planet that you can get good at really, really quickly. You know, life life is very, very simple. Do the work. Life is not very, very easy because the work is work. If you keep at it with the Kung Fu, you'll get good. If you don't, you won't. It's, it's like it's very simple, slightly harder to execute, but very, very simple. So you've got to kind of like find a way of of starting small and celebrating what you can do. And that's really kind of like at the heart of the other pseudo macho thing that I like to teach people, the tactical change system. <laughs> so you you start off with a, a trigger which is something that reminds you to do things so for example i exercise every morning when i get out of bed and i reliably get out of bed like i do it every day so it, it, it's a reliable trigger it happens every time when i get out of bed before i've really thought it through before i've come up with any excuse as to why i don't shouldn't do it i start exercising so the exercise is the action got the trigger that creates the action at the end of the action once i finished uh doing the exercises um i i do a silly little dance a little bit of a celebration because i do like dancing um and uh, i smile and i feel happy about it so i've got that kind of celebration um element to it so it's always this achievement so we've got the trigger that creates the action after the action comes the celebration and if you do the celebration properly if you really smile uh you know you're dumping all of those happy chemicals into your head and that's good because whenever you smile whether you're happy or not it you know you get these happy chemicals so it improves your mood but some of those happy chemicals are related to learning so it reminds you and it makes you keep an eye out for those triggers. So you're then looking for it. Next day when you get out of bed, you're looking for that trigger to do the action so that you can get the celebration. And your brain wants those happy chemicals. So that's how you can teach it to keep doing those things. So you want to start an exercise habit. Start small. You know, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't do more than about six, eight minutes. I do, I do mitt, you know, it's like, it's like hit, but it's more medium intensity. <laughs> I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like hit for, for lazy people. Um, so I, I don't do masses, you know, like six, eight minutes, something like that. But start with a minute, just do, do two press ups and get out of it find a trigger, reliable trigger, do something small, celebrate, keep doing that. You do it for a week, you'll probably find you want to do five press-ups. You do that for another week, you might do 20, you know? Yeah. And it, that's really that's really key too, because we think a lot of times we see these people who are really fit and they're in the gym two, three hours a day. It's like, I don't want to commit to that. But my the workout that I do through class is 20 minutes. And it, it is the high interval training where you just move from one to the other to the other. But that has done so much more for me than 
when I spent like a month in the gym for an hour, things like that. It's like, if you do 20, just 20 minutes. And even like you're saying with the, the less than 10, just something, it adds up so much quicker. And I just do it twice a week, 20 minutes, twice a week. Like that's, that's nothing. That's not something to really think is out of your grasp. And so when I talk to people and they're like, well, I don't, I can't, I don't have two hours to go to the gym. It's like, you don't, you don't need that. That's, that's not, it probably isn't an efficient 20 or two hours at the gym because in 20 minutes, if you move from one exercise to the other, to the other, 20 minutes is a lot of work and I'm pouring sweat by the end of it. And it feels amazing because it's all, it, it feels like it's longer than 20 minutes, but it, you look at the clock and it's like 20 minutes. Dang, this was, that's all that I had to give to lose. I think I've lost 30 pounds in the past year. So, uh, that's pretty nice to be honest. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And you, you remind me of a, a, a guy that I um, he see a lot more. I, I, I go to a different sauna now, but I, I, my idea of going to the gym is go and sit in the sauna for a couple of hours and think about some stuff uh, because I'm kind of more of a, a mind athlete than a... <laughs> and I, I used to go uh, to the one in town um, quite regularly, same night every week, and I'd always bump into this guy. And the thing is, I was very clear. I did not go there to exercise. I went there to relax. But he was convincing himself that he was going there to exercise. And to be fair, he might swim one or two lengths in the pool. But most of the evening he'd spend in the sauna chatting to me. Right. Um, but he's convincing himself that he's exercising. And I always wanted to sort of like turn around to him and go, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever kind of like worked it out that actually if you just spent this time at home cooking proper food you would lose a whole lot more weight I mean you wouldn't be as interesting because you wouldn't get to talk to me but you'd lose a whole lot more weight than you're ever going to lose swimming two or three lengths yeah yeah and it goes back to alcohol putting that in your body you want to talk about losing weight when you stop drinking it it does come down. And then if you pair that with eating better, what you're putting in your body, man, does yeah. that change things? Oh, I, I, I quite agree with you. I mean, I lost a, a load of weight when I stopped drinking. I do think that's one of the things that people sort of like, I don't think they talk about often enough in the community is that um, there is this kind of thing. And I think there's a lot of, um, the medical community talk about it a little bit more about having a craving for uh, sugar after yeah. you stop drinking. That's something that I've seen a, a load. And you kind of have to acknowledge that, but you have to be really, really careful because I have also met so many people who have, you know, they've gone, well, I'm not drinking now, so I can eat whatever I like. And then you give it six months and then they discover that they are eating the same way they used to drink and you have just replaced one thing for another um and you know part of that is about doing the the work what whatever that has to look like you know i mean often it does have an emotional component to it sometimes it has more of a kind of physical lifestyle kind of thing but we all drink because we're trying to ignore something and when we stop drinking we have to actually face it and if we don't we will just replace 
the drinking behavior with something else and food while it's kind of readily available, isn't it? Yeah. And it's one of those things that, you know, you still have that repeated action of the hand going up to the mouth. And yeah, you're absolutely right with that, that when you substitute from one to the other, yeah, you're just, you're not going to just drop the weight because of you're done drinking. It's, it is something that's a possibility again, but I definitely had the sugar cravings where when I was drinking, I maybe had a candy bar a month at the most. And then I stopped drinking and within a month I was eating a candy bar a day (laughs) and sometimes more. And it took a long time for me to realize that I had sugar cravings like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just like ice cream, cookies, pizza. What have you got? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I fell straight into that trap, but um, found my way out again. In fact, you know, I can, I can distinctly remember that the evening when I was sitting there, there was, I, my daughter was very young. My wife was quite ill at the time. She's always struggled with her uh, mental health. And, um, you know, I'm sure you're aware of the statistics around pregnancy and pre-existing mental health conditions. It's not pleasant. And we kind of tried to manage it, but it didn't really work out quite the way we would have liked. And she got very ill. And, uh, you know, I was I, I was I was struggling um, and I was sitting there eating these like quadruple chocolate chip cookies and it's like why would anybody try and pack more chocolate into the chocolatiest cookie in the world but they did um and uh you know i just i distinctly remember going i I like i hated eating it every bite was just awful and it was it was just like the end of my drinking time you know just like i hated the stuff but i was still desperately trying to pour it down my throat to get some kind of effect to run away from everything and you know exactly the same thing with the cookies yeah I did the same thing with work where I just threw myself into my work and it was just trying to keep my mind busy on something else other than what was in front of me that would have moved my life forward but the, 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 there we go. Like the thing is, if you if you do that and you throw yourself into work, everyone goes, pats you on the back and goes, "Oh, good man, good man." You're like, "Wow, you will grind, hustle and grind." That's like yeah. to be praised. But um, it, at the end of the day, it's the same behaviour. And I think it kind of points to something really important, a, a, a distinction that is very rarely made within within the the, the, the world in general. That kind of we want to see people who have problems with addiction as being separate and being different whereas actually it is simply a normal human expression we all want to run away from stuff we all want to you know forget about what's going on in life sometimes you know if if that wasn't true you know Shakespeare wouldn't have made all of that money out of those plays he wrote would he you know like at the end of the day, Hamlet is escapism. It, it mm-hmm. offers the same kind of uh, niche as a glass of wine. It's a bit better for you. And I love Shakespeare, but I've honestly never read six of his plays in an evening. So uh, I think it's kind of a bit <laughs> healthier. Um, so it's kind of like it, it is a it is a natural human tendency. It's just when it gets to a point where it's 
causing you harm, you know, that's when you've taken it too far. When it's harming you, when it's harming other people, when it's, you know, interfering with your productivity and your relationships and your happiness, then you've taken it too far. And that's what I'd love people to, to, to realize that, you know, it is just a normal human thing, just taken way too far. And honestly, I think a lot of mental health problems are similar to that. They're, they're a part of the natural human experience, just taken too far. And that is the reason that like this podcast went from just talking about not drinking, just talking about sobriety to also including mental health, because a lot of the community, a lot of even mental health professionals, the the drinking, the addiction, the problem behavior is the cause. And it's like, no, it's other things that this is the symptom. This is the side effect. This is pointing you to what the real cause is. And a lot of times for men, it's running from your emotions, running from your body, running from a lot of things that happened in childhood, it doesn't have to necessarily be your parents. It could be school. It could be, you know, there are so many things that have long lasting effects on us that we downplay because, well, we don't have it as bad as the kid down the street who's getting beat every night by his dad. Right. That's, that's what we look at it. And it's just not the case. So talking about your mental health, like, and people, We'll throw it into mental wellness, mental fitness. I had one friend recently who said, you know, we should really talk about it as embodiment, as in like you get connected to your body again and you get down into where your feet are. And it's like, I do like that, but that concept can be a little bit far to grasp for people at first. Oh, yeah, that, but I, I like it as well. I imagine it'd be a hard sell though. <laughs> you know that I mean so much in what 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 you said. You just reminded me. I've got a very good friend called Gethin, and um, he had a tough life. You know, uh, he was in care from a fairly early age, and then, like far too many people in the care system in the UK and probably in uh, America as well, yes. he graduated to prison. You know, and uh, that just you know escalated into a fairly serious heroin problem lots of prison time lots of heroin lots of problems um thankfully you know met a a very very enlightened and uh, compassionate education officer within the prison system who really changed his life and really helped him turn it around and since uh you know getting clean and getting out of prison he's gone on to do a lot of really amazing work and he's working with um with prison reform he's working with prisoners he's doing doing some amazing stuff he, he's, a, he's a really great guy but he, he once shouted at me because I sort of said yeah look you know I in comparison to you I didn't have a tough childhood and he's like yeah but that doesn't make any difference if you have struggled when you were a child you struggled and that had an effect on you don't compare it with me and say I shouldn't complain because it's not as bad as that because you can always play that game you know, I'm sure Gething, you know, he meets the most 
troubled people in the world. I mean, that he actually recently been to America. God knows how he got a visa. You guys are not that <laughs> you're not that pleasant when it allow, when it comes to allowing criminals into the country, are you? But he was, you know, he's been in the American prison system. He's been in the Australian prison system, British prison system. He's met the people who have really struggled, who have had terrible lives. So it probably would be quite easy for him to say, yeah, but you know, save in solitary. I didn't have a bad childhood in comparison to him. So yeah, don't don't play that game. It's 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 never gonna never gonna help you at all, is it? But um there was something else you said that was really interesting and I've totally forgotten what it was. Uh <clears throat> was it talking about like how addiction is like the side effect and symptom and not Yeah, no, well that's it, the, the separation uh in the mental health business. Yeah, no, I mean that that is awful over here because they, the the government in their infinite wisdom separated mental health services and the stop drinking services. So I've met too many people who bounce between the two. The stop drinking services can't help them because ultimately their problem is not simply alcohol. You know, they are people who need to do the kind of the therapeutic route. They kind of need to work through the therapeutic path. And then, you know, the drinking will naturally kind of tailor off, fall away. Um, but they can't access the mental health services because they're drinking. So the stop drinking services can't help them and the mental health services won't help them. So they just get stuck between the two. And, you know, and he ever gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. And it's frustrating when you want to seek that help and it's just not. So I, I, went back into therapy last year going through a divorce and the thing that frustrated me i'm very open about my past with drinking things and all of that and they wanted to focus on my drinking and i'm like listen it's been eight nine years i don't want to fucking talk about drinking anymore can we talk about my mental health please and actually get to that and it's yeah. like every single session we had to start well how's this affecting your drinking it's like fuck my drinking can we talk about this please like i'm i'm sick of talking about it now and i i'm not somebody who gets sick of talking about that usually but i wasn't there for that yeah so i wanted to interview a guy now on uh on my podcast and i only interview people who are sober and he said oh, i'm not i'm not doing it because i'm not sober i'm like but you don't drink he's like yeah but i'm not sober i'm like oh, what the hell do you mean he's like well like I don't think of myself as sober because I don't define myself in terms of what I don't do. I am just somebody who doesn't drink alcohol. It's got no, I'm not, that's like, that's a thing and I'm not part of it. And I guess there are a couple of analogies. Vegan Duncan, I'm like, I'm not vegan. I'm plant powered, you know, like I'm more <laughs> annoying than vegans. But if you actually get down to brass tacks, what vegan means is uh, you know, it is a political ideology. It is about not harming animals in any way. So if you are vegan, you should say no to most prescription medicine because it's been tested on animals. If I was really properly vegan, I wouldn't be wearing this leather um, band thing around my wrist, which, to be fair, I did buy before I went plant based. Um, but, you know, like, I'm not that concerned about cruelty to animals. I mean, that sounds a bit bad, doesn't it? I don't think people should actively go out and be cruel to animals, but that is not the reason why the diet I eat. So I do not <laughs> do not identify as a vegan. 
<laughs> and some people will and some people don't you know get too bothered about these kind of things but i think if we it, it does get a little bit weird to define yourself as somebody who doesn't drink because like when was the last time you told somebody you know like oh, it's so good it's been it it's been nearly 17 years since i last wet myself whoa <laughs> but what what if you you're only cool if you pee your pants well there we go that's a that's an entirely different parallel universe that would make the great basis of the sci-fi novel that we're going to write together right yeah. <laughs> but you know it's like it is kind of a little bit ridiculous to say but hi my name's duncan and i, I haven't done the following things for this amount of years and I was I was chatting to um, one of the the sober superstars the other day, and she was saying, "Well, I, d I don't I don't spend any time in sober communities because I just don't want to think about it anymore. I just I'm beyond it. It's not who I am, and I, I find dwelling on it just ridiculous. It's like I just want to get on with my life." And she has. <laughs> she is smashing it out of the park. And. That's important too to find what it is you want to do with life and not just not drink. Like, yeah, use the vocabulary you want to use, right? Use what words work for you. I don't, I don't drink. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm going to go alcohol free, free from alcohol, you know, whatever, sober. If it works for you, use it, but then be open to shifting as you start to move along as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, see, I, I think there's a very important and subtle difference which I'm going to try and talk about now. But you know, I'm a big fan of service. I'm massively keen on you know helping other people to get sober and to yeah. design the kind of alcohol-free life that that they deserve. And I'm all about that. And I've met so many people whatever tradition you use to stop drinking uh you know aa smart recovery recovery dharma what whatever you mm -hmm. know people are really keen to to help other people along on their journey and that is that is one of the great empowering things about the community and i would never want to stop that but you know for everybody their path is not a, simply around talking about stopping drinking and being stopping drinking because to me, I don't think my my path is really about stopping drinking. That's that's not it. I I just wrote a book about stopping drinking. But why did I do that? Is that because I'm solely focused on stopping drinking? Not so much. I'm a writer, you know, and I am focused on being the best writer that I can be. And at the moment, I write about stopping drinking. And the next book is going to be about staying stopped and maintaining sobriety and all of the kind of resources and um well the uh the scientists call it recovery capital but i prefer the buddhists because they call it the eightfold path <laughs> sounds better again. doesn't it yeah. oh yeah um so i'm gonna keep writing i don't know whether i'm gonna always write about that i've got a few ideas for some other things that i might want to write about but you know my identity is fundamentally as a writer rather than as a you know sober person and that's it is important to find what your identity is and go with that and so on that You've kind of alluded to it, but as we're wrapping up here, Duncan, 
can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the other venture that you have, not just as a writer, but you recently started a podcast that is fantastic. And I recommend to people. Oh yeah. I like talking as well. <laughs> yeah, it's called, it's called flat pack sober. And um, I interview the sober superstars to, uh, you know, get from them the tips, tricks, tactics that they've used to create the kind of life that they, they, they want to live, you know, and, um, I've tried quite hard uh, to interview a broad spectrum of people. I do occasionally interview amazing people from, uh, you know, who are very deeply in the sober sphere, uh, like your good self. Um, but uh, I also try my hardest to to interview what might be described as normal people. So coming up, um, I'm interviewing a guy who's a sales director, a recruitment consultant and a property developer. So it's kind of like a real mix of, of people. And we we just dig into like what are the products, the communities, the mindset shifts, all of that sort of stuff that they've used to to help them get sober. But I want to kind of like put a layer over the top of that. It's called Flatpak Sober because we talk a lot about IKEA furniture. And like, I'm a bit obsessed with IKEA furniture. Maybe I'm angling for a sponsorship, who knows? But it's also looking, using the way you assemble IKEA furniture as a way of looking at how you learn, how you approach life. So we always start off by working out where the person I'm interviewing interviewing is coming from because i think that really helps the listeners if you just pump a lot of information into the world it doesn't necessarily help because i'm sure everybody out there they've had that experience of listening to somebody and thinking that's amazing and then feeling bad because they're not able to do it well we're trying to say you know look this person is like this and if you're not like this then there's things you can learn from them for sure. You know, you can probably shore up some of your weaknesses listening to their techniques. But if what they're saying doesn't resonate with you, if it doesn't gel with you, that's probably because you're just a different person. And that is okay. Mm, that is okay. Duncan, if people want to keep up with you, what's the best way that they can do that? Well, the best way of finding me is learning how to spell my surname. <laughs> now, if you put Baskaran Brown, if you try and get the it's BH, but if you just put Baskaran Brown into the internet, I I will come up first, probably for the next few years until my daughter hits TikTok and then I'm I'm toast. Um, but at the moment, uh, BaskaranBrown.com is the website. There's a load of resources there uh, that you can find our sober styles quiz there as well. Flatpacksober.com is the podcast website. I'm also on all the socials. And if your listeners want to connect with me, either on LinkedIn or on Instagram, connect with me, direct message me. I'd happily send them a copy of my last book, Get Over Indulgence. Uh, I can give you a PDF or a Kindle versiony thingy or the audio book. Um, quite happy. If anybody wants to connect, just just shout out. Uh, let's start a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a lot of fun, Duncan. I really appreciate you joining us and you know for everybody out there let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today because at least if we don't make it we tried have a great week everybody i love you